0: Well, this morning we were uh, excited. We're going to continue our series a little bit this morning, talking about God this month and who is God, who is God really. Also talking about the mountains. We're also talking about other other topics as well, but on our themes. But today I I want to inspire you and encourage you. We're going to Matthew 25 again. If you've got your Bibles there, let's turn to Matthew 25. It's talking about a wedding. It's talking about preparation for a wedding. I, I know Jane and I, when we were first married, uh, it was very, very exciting. But, you know, you can't stay at the wedding. You've got to be able to get on and get on with your life, get on with your relationships and grow. And that's what uh, the wedding is for. It's not for just a great form of entertainment, you know, enjoyable as it is. There's a relationship, a life, a family to be uh, grown and, and be strong. And there's deliberate ways you can do that. There's ways you can, can't do it. There's ways that you can mess it up and there's ways you can really make it work. And so today we're going to talk about some of those things in parallel to the return of Christ. So I'm talking today about Living Expectant Part 2 this morning. A lot of our thoughts this morning or my thoughts this morning have come from Matthew Henry, who was a commentator around the 1700s, who uh, I I love uh, as he gives great insight to the Word of God. So we're going to go along there this morning. This morning we're going to talk about today, tomorrow and forever. And uh, what's the Bible say about the end of the world? in that particular way, and how to live through transition again, which is what we're in. I was amazed in a cafe the other morning. I was just uh, having breakfast, and one of the girls uh, said to me, the cafe, the girls there, she said, "Uh, what are you reading? And I was reading Matthew Henry's, which is quite a thick book and very, very small print. And she said, I said, I'm just reading a book about the end of the world. And she goes, oh, yes, about this and the cashless society and all these things. She knew more about it as a non-Christian than, you know, many people I find as Christians. Today, we're going to talk about probably the most least preached message in the world today, as they say, and that's the return of Jesus Christ and preparing ourselves. Father, we thank you this morning. We pray well beyond my words, God, that you would speak to us this morning. Inspire us, transform our life, change us, let it be a turning point today for us to act differently and do things differently as you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 25 verse 1, Jesus begins this discourse about the second coming and about the end of the world, which is quite an interesting uh, challenge. It's about a farewell sermon, and it's a sermon of caution, which is quite amazing. Matthew 25 1, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. We talked about the foolish, were the ones who don't allow God to be in their daily decision making work. The Bible says that a fool says there is no God, so that if there is no God, I don't include him in my day to day activity uh, and let him uh, lead me and guide me. Verse 3 tells us those who are foolish took their lamps with no oil in them. That was the difference. Um, but the wise took their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept, which is interesting. They all were asleep. At midnight, the cry was heard: "Behold, the bridegroom is coming! Let's go out and meet with him." Then all those verses seven. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, "Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out." But the wise answered, saying, "No, lest there should not be enough for us and you go, uh, and f- for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves." And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him, and the wedding and the door was shut. Afterwards, the virgins came, late obviously, Lord, Lord, open to us. We were here before, remember? Type attitude. But he said, assuredly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Then Jesus goes on and he talks in the next uh, story about the kingdom, about the five talents and how to be able to use your life wisely, and don't dig a hole and just bury it, be able to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given you. Jesus is again talking about his the end time, or that time of history. End time, I believe, began when Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we're living out this time. However many people are saying there's many signs and many things happening in the world today, which indicate, perhaps or more indicate, where we're up to, Biblically, and how we can actually move forward with that, and that's what we're talking about this morning. In other form or in other places in the Bible, uh, that uh, there's words of great comfort, but these words here are: be aware and be awake. He said, "Be aware and be awake against sin's temptation that could grip your attention." And this is the times Jesus. This time is Jesus talking about. He said, "Watch and be ready." Watch and be ready. Have your eyes opened and watch and be ready. Be aware and be ready. That's what the message we we brought through last week, and we bring it through again in this hour. And I suppose, as a preacher or as a pastor, a senior pastor, I believe my responsibility is, you know, before God is to prepare people in the hour that we live is to prepare people for Christ's return. And a lot of that is character building. A lot of that, as I said, is watching and praying and being aware. It's living expectant, as we talked about today. And here, I suppose, we believe we need to give utmost care and utmost diligence to these things. So a preacher oftentimes can be an alarm clock to people to wake up. A prophet can be an alarm clock to people to wake up. And as I said the other week, not everyone loves their alarm clock. Not everyone loves those who well, just let me, you know, keep going numb and, uh, you know, I won't be aware of these things. If I'm not aware of them, I won't have to worry about it. Well, God's not calling you to worry. He's calling you to walk by faith. He's calling you to understand and prepare yourself and giving us forewarning. Because either we live aware and awake and prepare, or we tend then to do it the hard way. I don't know if you're one of those people who tend to do things the hard way. Sometimes I can, you know, the the manual to the car can be sitting there but I'm one I'll just figure it out for myself and then you go, "Oh, I better Google this." And then you go end up going by Mr. Google or or by the manual because you know it's it's the right way to do it or it's the best way to do it or it's the way the manufacturer has made it to be. I think in this hour, you know, you can try and cheat the system. You can try and be a person who who puts their head in the sand, or you can be a person who lives aware. Now Jesus is warning us here, be very careful, you're not drawn away by temptation or sin or, or false things or false doctrine or conspiracy theories. He said, you know, make sure that your faith is grounded and and very real. And we're going to talk about those things this morning because then he goes on, to help us realize that God is not a sloppy lover. He goes on and says God is very determined. He's very deliberate. God is very awake in this hour. He's not getting old and tired and weary and and discouraged. God is very on key in this moment. And Jesus goes on and he says this. He said, what's going to happen is he said, they'll bring a difference between the goats and the sheep. And he said this difference will, will come out. This is in this uh, end of this chapter. Uh, as I said, this is part two of last week. And so you may need to listen to last week to capture the simplicity of what I'm talking about today. But he, he talks about the goats and the sheep. The goats and the sheep aren't the Christians and the world, the non-Christians. He's actually talking about all Christians, that some uh, have lived a life where they act very uh, appropriately because it's it's talking about actions here, not thoughts. It's talking about how they acted, how the sheep act different to goats. Sheep will uh, need a shepherd. And sheep will actually be very deliberate. And uh, uh, sheep actually eat a lot from the ground. They eat the, the, the grass and things like that from the ground. And that's what they do. Where goats will eat uh, twigs and leaves. They'll be all eating anything. And some goats uh, will climb and climb up trees just to eat twigs and things like that. Where sheep are ground dwellers. they It's the way they eat. It's the way they live. It's the way they act out their life which was the difference. And so it's realizing here we're not calling, as I said, uh, the difference between Christians and the world—we're talking about Christians and those who are imposters as Christians. They act differently, they eat differently, they live differently. That's the that's the difference Jesus is actually bringing here, and so then he goes on. He talks about what is what will actually happen uh, when the whole world comes to this uh, place. And then the rewards that will actually happen to people's lives. We talked last week about the lamps being the word of God, the oil being the Holy Spirit life, the virgins being about purity and those who had separated themselves unto God. It's, it's an it's a re- amazing picture. The amazing part of this picture is as Jesus is explaining this to the Jews and you know we're obviously reading it 2,000 years later, it wasn't an obscure picture to them what he's talking about because the process or the, the, the example that he's giving is exactly the same as the example of their wedding process. Today in Australia and Western world, we take a lot of the bits and pieces of a, a Jewish-style wedding, and we bring it over into Western society, and we just we we mess it up a little bit, uh, in, and we take it in part, but we don't take it in the fullness of what it actually was, because the wedding and the return of Christ are direct parallel experiences or expressions. So every time someone was married, they were preparing themselves and seeing the type of the return of Christ. And that's what Jesus is talking about here as he did that. How does the example work? Well, the example was in those times, the the guy, the boyfriend, so to speak, would be uh, go to the father of the bride and he would say, um, I really like this girl, I really like your daughter, and he, they'd leave a dowry, they'd leave an amount of money, they'd leave something there. As a deposit for the girl, so what they do is they'd uh, be an agreement or a deal struck, so to speak, between the father and the man, and uh, they would actually talk about what that amount was. They'd agree upon that amount. Then the young man would actually go, and then he'd prepare a wedding, basically a a wedding chamber, for the uh, the wedding night, essentially, and so he would prepare this wedding chamber and make it really nice, and then he'd think, this is really cool. I can go back and get the girl. But no, he couldn't do that. He had to go to his dad, and his dad had to give approval that this building was good. If, if dad came in and said, hey, you haven't painted the architrave properly, you didn't tidy that up well, or that's not good enough, then the, the son would have to go, okay, dad, i will better keep working on it. I can't go and get it yet. It's not right. And so the dad would go back, and then the son would actually keep working. If we parallel just to this point, the example, Jesus has came, He's came, he's paid a price for us. The price for us that he's paid was his own life. He left a deposit with us to know that he would be back for us because he's already paid for us. And so that's a wonderful thing. Then he, he, Jesus gone off. The Bible says to prepare a place for us. And Jesus doesn't even know when that place is acceptable. Only the Father knows. In the time that Jesus will actually come back for the bride, that's the, that's us, the 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 church essentially, the people of God. And what actually happened was, is the bridegroom, it seemed to be mainly at night, I don't know if the, the uh, father just approved it in the afternoon or something like that, but it seemed like mainly at night that these men came for their brides. And what happened is that, that uh, the women were, the bridesmaids, usually 10, they had to be usually 10 because these 10 was a number of witnesses. And so those bride, bridesmaids were preparing the bride all the time working around her like for many many nights uh, many nights because they didn't know when he was going to come so for many nights they're bathing her and and looking after her and making her look beautiful and putting herbs and doing things in the bath or whatever it might be doing her hair and braiding it getting it all right putting their lamps in the window going out and looking and see if the bride no he hasn't come not tonight okay so they'd pack up put the you know and go to bed Then maybe get ready all next day, preparing and maybe getting ready. Then in the night they get ready and put their lamps by the window and then the bridesmaids would go out with their lamps. No, not tonight. Maybe it's the next night. But they lived expectant. They lived prepared. They put effort into it. It wasn't sloppy about it. It wasn't just a thought. It's the way they lived. And then one particular night it would be when, you know, just when they thought, oh, well, is it tonight? Seriously? No. They prepared. They did the same. They got it all ready. And they went out into the streets with their lambs. And tonight was the night. They heard him coming through the streets. There was always a great sound. There was always a loud roar. Who's getting married tonight? I wonder who it is tonight. I wonder who the bridegroom's coming for tonight. And the lamps would go up and the lamps would be alight and the lamp in the window would be ready. And the bridegroom would come because he knew that she was still living expectant with the flame burning in her heart, waiting for him to come. And all the lamps were ready and all the light was was directing towards this beautiful moment when the groom would meet his bride and people say well you know was this an arranged marriage well it sort of was but because they'd grown up in a community he probably would have known this girl most of his life and she would have known him because they would have grown up as families together that's how it usually operated it was a beautiful moment it was a wonderful moment when the two met and and head off and as I say we sort of do little things like that where the you know the the uh, walks his uh, daughter, the father, sorry, walks his daughter down the aisle and things like that. It's quite different where today it would be the man coming to the, wo- the woman, not the other way around, the woman coming to the man as we do. As I said, it's sort of, we've changed it a little bit, uh, doing the same thing but really quite different. And so we got this sort of process taking place that was very familiar to the people at the time. But the amazing thing is that, as it says here, what happens if he doesn't come and tarries a little bit? Our lamps will burn out. Friend, if the lamps would have burned out in that particular time, a number of things would have happened. The bridegroom would have said, well, maybe you don't want me. Maybe you've changed your mind. Lamps have gone out. Or maybe you're just not prepared enough. Or maybe you're just, you know. See, friend, if the lamp goes out in our heart, if the lamp goes out in our church, how will Jesus know that we really want him to come back for us. The lamp must be kept burning in preparation and understanding. And it says here where, you know, the others said, well, we've we've got enough oil for the moment, but maybe not enough oil if he tarries and doesn't come back when they expected him to come back and there was no lamp. So therefore the bridegroom's sorry, the bride maid would have gone away if they would have gone away to get more oil. There would have been darkness and the groom would have gone, well, they're not ready for me. They're not wanting me to come they've changed their mind or whatever it might be, and he'd turn away and go back. We don't want Jesus to do that for me. I don't want Jesus to do that for you. I don't want Jesus to do that for our church. I believe the lamps need to be burning brightly. We need to have the oil of the Holy Ghost around our life in preparation and respect for God actually coming for it. See, the bridesmaids who prepared didn't see this as really a fun thing to do. It wasn't like, oh, let's go and do that, because it was quite, you know, it's quite tiresome and quite different. But what they did see it as as a duty. It was their duty as believers. It was their duty and commitment to this woman. It was the commitment to that relationship. That's why they did it. You know, today across the church world, sadly, we have this happiness cult. You know, if it makes me happy, I'll do it. And what we've done is we've shifted the, you know, the tables a little bit around on the on the deck to think now it's all about, well, if it makes me happy, I'll serve. If I, if I get to a point where I'm not happy serving, then I don't want to serve anymore. We've got to get rid of that and get back to this is our duty and our responsibility as believers to stand post, to stand in the place where God's called us to be, so when he comes, he'll know where to find us. This is our duty. This is, it might make you happy. It might not make you happy fulfilling the duty of God. How many people, you know, in families today, you know, you've got your children and you get them to do chores. And I don't think you should give children money uh, as such for making their bed and things like that. That's their responsibility. That's what they should do. If they're doing extra things to maybe, you know, helping with a fence or something like that around the house or helping perhaps watch the car or things like that, then that might be worth a dollar or two. But at the end of the day, those children use that car to take them to sporting events or take them to their friend's house or parties or things like that. So there's an added responsibility. It's their duty to do that. It's our duty to serve God. It's our duty to gather together. It's our duty to be able to serve when we're together and when we're apart. It's our duty to be able to lead people to Christ. What's that mean? It's our responsibility. See, when God gave us free will, that was wonderful, the free will of God. People say, well, he didn't do that because of his free will and free to serve, free not to serve. But see, friend, what comes with free will is huge responsibility. What comes with free will is huge responsibility, and this is a responsibility that we have to God. What's responsibility to mean? Essentially, to break it down, it means my response to His ability. I'm responding to God's ability for my life, God's uh, moving in my life, God's order in my life. As far as being a uh, bridesmaid, today we've got bridesmaids who, you know, run down and help the girl at the at the you know the bride's bridal shop get the dress and maybe a bit of makeup and get their hair done together and things like that. It was a greater commitment in those days. It was a much greater commitment. But it was a, why is, Why is that important to say? It's because sometimes we serve to the end of our ability. I'll serve to the end of my ability. And God goes, no, I want you to go beyond that. It's called the extra mile because you see this not because it's not making you happy anymore, but you see this as your duty and responsibility before God. It's a different thinking. It's godly thinking. To know this is my responsibility. This is my duty as a Christian to act a certain way. In Titus, it says that the older women were to train the younger women. And one of the things they had to train the younger women is is this, is to see to not, as they serve God and acted in a certain way, the older women trained the younger women to act chaste and to love their own husbands and things like that. There's quite a, a discussion in there how to do that. Why, is, why did the, the old women say? They said, because we, so we don't all bring discredit to the Word of God. It wasn't to make them happy. It wasn't so they'd have a better life. It wasn't to be more fun. It wasn't to you know hold your marriage together. It would do all those things, I'm sure. But more than that, it was so we don't bring discredit to the Word of God, that we honor God by being bringing honor to His Word and be obedient to His Word in this hour. So that becomes the challenge. I think there's many challenges, and I say this insightfully and perhaps a bit prophetically while I'm talking like this. There's many challenges that we're going to face between now and the end of the year. Buying and selling. You know, the the um, vaccine. Are we going to receive the vaccine? Are we going to just openly do that? Are we going to be people who, who just go, well, there's a cashless society. Let's just step into a cashless society. I'm going to talk more about this tonight. Uh, you would stay tuned tonight. A uh, cashless society, by the way, doesn't mean using your card a lot with a little bit of cash on the side. It actually means cashless society. And When we have a cashless society, I know people are jumping on board with that at the moment and saying, it's a fantastic idea. It's a great idea. Yeah, It's a bit like marriage equality. It was a great idea until it came into place. And then we realized there was a lot more to it than just the word. And so with cashless society, we realize there's a lot more to it than just saying, I think that's a good idea. Won't spread germs, I won't do this. We're going to talk a little bit, as I said tonight, about that. So Jesus talked about this paying a price. And they go out and have their lamps burning, burning strongly. They saw it as a responsibility, a responsibility before God. And today we need to make sure that our hearts are burning with the Holy Ghost, the oil of joy and gladness, to living expecting, preparing for His turn, for, for His return. And, uh, and I believe, as I said, that when Jesus comes, he'll know where to find you because you're in the place that he's asked you to be with your lamp burning brightly. The word filled here, uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit being in our life, the oil of our life, the Holy Spirit. The word Holy Spirit in our life means being filled with the Holy Spirit is another word translated controlled. I'm being controlled by the Spirit of God. And he's controlling me. Controlling is not a popular Christian word, is it? But it's a powerful word in this hour of preparation to be able to be led or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will control your behavior. You might want to swear and spit and kick and, and scream and yell and post things on social media and things like that. The Holy Spirit will control you. What's The, the word control there is another word. He'll guide you into truth. When you know that truth, you'll be free, freer than you were if you went out of your way and got angry and upset with everybody and acted in the flesh. But to be led by the Spirit or controlled by the Holy Spirit takes time. To mature and develop a relationship with God like that, it takes time. Remember I said essentially at the start, more than just being at the wedding, now I have to develop a relationship with the bride. A relationship that God can trust me, and that I can trust God. That I can walk with God. He can prompt me on little things, and and be able to inspire me. You know, I remember once driving home, and I use this example because it's happened many times. Driving home, and I felt the Lord say to me, "Turn left here. Don't turn right, which is your normal way to head home." And I thought, "Oh, turn on." Oh. Turn left. Okay, Lord, you want me. To, so I turned left and went down a different road to go home. And it was sort of the long way to go home. And I thought, I, was, I was thinking along the way, God's probably saving me from having an accident. There must have been something terrible happening. God's protecting me from, you know, just going the normal way that I'd normally go. And I said, Lord, thanks for saving me from the accident and, you know, saving me and helping me and protecting me and stuff. Something terrible must have been going to happen that you wanted me to go a different way. And he said, No, I just wanted to see if I could trust you if you'd listen to me, if you'd act differently because you've heard my voice. I went, oh, that was so easy to do that. But I found many times the Lord will tell me and require me to do different things, some that will be life-saving, others that will just be practicing, preparing me to listen to his voice, that still small voice and being led by God. Why is it important to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Why? Because in this hour what the enemy is wanting to do is to control us Cashless society is all about control. Cameras everywhere is all about control. Facial recognition is all about control. Gathering data is all about control. Facial recognition, uh, sorry, uh, all the different things that come to, to be able to gather your data is all about control. Controlling you, being able to, identity fraud and all of those sort of things is all about control. But we're going to be people who are controlled by the Holy Ghost. So we actually uh, you know, so to speak, non-conformists to that way, but conformists to God. That's the difference that we're talking about here. And the the virgins uh, is a great example between the foolish ones and the wise ones and knowing how to act. So we're going to be people who uh, make sure that we're preparing for a godly future. We're looking expectant to a godly future and making sure that our passion is to be able to reach the lost and serve people. The wise had a life of principle and promise. They learned to stand on the word and there was evidence of breakthrough because of their testimony. That was the wise. Can I read that again? They had a life of principle and promise. They learned to stand on the word and there was evidence of breakthrough in their testimony. They stored up good treasure in their hearts uh, and they had uh, grace around their life. The grace was in the oil. They lived a life of grace and joy and love and love life. Ones who were front-footed know how to embrace truth in their, in their love life and bring the kingdom to earth uh, with with the power of God and they loved to to be together and I trust in the next months when we're back together again that I believe there's going to be a new sound as I said the sound of the people coming through the streets the land the sound of the bridegroom coming was a different sound and people say well we're in a new time and things like that friend there's a new sound listen to the new sound and Acts. Too, it talks about there was a sound that came from heaven when the Holy Spirit came and that was one of the greatest in- indicators that God was around their life because of the response that people had when the Spirit of God came around them and I believe as the church gathers back together there's going to be a new sound and it's going to be an up sound it's going to be a larger sound it's going to be a bigger sound it's going to be a sound of praise why is that because in praise and especially in high praise the power of God is loosed upon the people and loosed upon and hearts and so people will carry the presence of God but it won't be just the presence of God only it'll be the power of God the dunamis dynamite power of God will be able to heal people and deliver people like never before but we need to come back you know not well I'm just you know going to come back a little bit more excited I'm going to come back and and look and see or I'm going to get my magnifying glass out and you know find things that are wrong and things no 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 that's not the sort of people that are hearing the heartbeat of God in this hour the sound of the church the sound of the people of God is on the Uh-huh. it's on the rise and when we get you'll feel it individually you'll feel you'll start to feel that need to be back together that's God stirring your heart but in that don't just come looking and seeing what's new and what's different and what's not the same you need to come with expectant hearts people who've learned to look up so when someone strums a guitar there's all of a sudden man I'm going to shout I'm going to praise and stuff I can't hold back See, sometimes when you're called of God, it's not just, oh, God, I have to serve you. It's whether you can stay at home and not serve him. That's the question. If you can stay at home and not serve him, then God's not stirring your heart. If you can't say, God, I've got to get back together. There's an urgency, there's a passion, there's a desperateness in my heart to get back together. You've been preparing my heart. And when you come back, collectively, you're the loudest singer in the room. You're the loudest shouter in the room. Because the Bible says there will be a sound in this hour, I believe. And this is the sound that these virgins had, the wise ones had when actually they'd prepared their lamps, they had some left over, and they're able to to if, if the bridegroom tarried, be able to still have a confidence, still have a praise, still have a stirring that was beyond just their natural ability to be excited. It was a spiritual dynamic to their life because they prepared themselves and expected. It wasn't just like, oh, we're getting back together. What's, uh, who's singing again? What's, what's happening again? No, 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 no. You won't need music, friend. You'll just need an opportunity to shout and praise and to thank God and expectantly for his return with something new about your spirit, something fresh about your spirit because of your preparedness of your heart. Anyway, I'm excited this morning for you. I'm excited for the church. I'm excited for us. And the devil's been very cunning. trying to keep us apart, but God's used that time to prepare us. If you've used that time wisely, God's used a time to prepare you and refresh you and get you ready for all that he has for you. Can I pray for you before we go? Father, I thank you this morning. You're preparing individual hearts. You're preparing marriages. You're preparing families. You're preparing people all over the place, God. You're not coming back for a bruised or, or battered bride. You're coming back for a bride that's ready, that's refreshed, that's encouraged, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, that's clean, that's healthy, that's separated, that's expectant, that smells with a fragrance of heaven, God, uh, on their their, their nose. Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for the bride. We thank you for the picture you've given us, God. And we thank you that you'd show us our part where we're up to in that picture. Help us, we pray, Father. Live differently. Live with people with light in our eyes, hope in our step. And we thank you today. We want to be a sheep, not a goat. (laughs) We want to be a sheep in this hour, Lord, as you prepare us for all you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.